All right, we, we are in the middle of the month. Uh, we see that there are, there are five Sundays in the month of August, and so this is, this is Sunday number three, so we are in the middle. And this is really a month where we're focusing in on uh, God's presence and some things there. So the very first week, first Sunday of the month, we looked at Psalm 23, and we talked about the Lord being our shepherd, and we talked about how as, as our shepherd, he desires for us to have peace, and uh, that God wants us to walk in peace, and that if there's anything in our lives that's disrupting uh, peace with God, that we need to look at that and try to say, this is not part of, of my walk with the Lord, and remove it, but we want God's peace in our life. Um, Last week, we talked about, as a family, that we carry the presence of God, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, that we have the Holy Spirit, and that as we come together, we are building his house, and that uh, we ask and look for the manifest presence of, of the Lord among us. Uh, he is here with us today, and we worship him, and the, 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 thing that, the phrase that has just been in my mind the last couple weeks is, bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. He is in our presence. We are with him. We are in his presence, and we want to bless the Lord and worship him. And so we talked about that last week. Next week, we're going to look at God's presence in each of us that produces fruit. And, and really, if God's presence, if the Holy Spirit's right here, then we should be, the Holy Spirit should be producing fruit in our lives. And so we're going to talk about that next week. And then the last Sunday of the month, we're going to talk about because we have God's presence, what our presence in the community should look like. And the fact that we should be out as a family, as a church family, we should be present in the community. And I'm not saying we're not present in the, uh, present in the community right now. I'm just saying that, that that should be something that God's presence should be compelling us to be uh, present in the community. And, and my hope, I've said this to the elders, my hope is that when we look back a year from now, we see a marked improvement of this church family's presence in the community, uh, sharing the love of Christ with people. And so that's, that's really what we're going to be looking at. Uh, this week, uh, we're going to talk about God's presence um, really as we pass the presence of God to the next generation. And, and so I, I want to talk about, I, I want to say this up front. Um, I want to make sure today that our, my heart is not saying, okay, if you're older and there's a next generation beyond you, step up. I mean, that's, that's not what my heart is today. I, I'm just saying, where are you in, in that whole situation? If you have a generation below you, just be asking the Lord today, what do you want me doing with that next generation? If you have a generation above you, which I'm kind of right, I have both right now. What am I doing to reach out to that generation above me? This isn't just about how do we uh, pass it down, but it's also how are those that are maybe receiving, how are you looking to those above you as well? Uh, and, and so it's a both and. And so we're going to take time. Pastor Terry and I are going to take time today and we're going to uh, hit a couple different points. What, four points, 36 points? Four points, two points each. We're going to take two points each and we're going to talk about this. And, and I hope that you receive it uh, w where you're at and that you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you uh, and, and accept a challenge of saying, where am I at and what is he calling me to do? Regardless of which generation that you're a part of right now. Father, we, we lay this time before you and we thank you for your presence among us and we thank you that we can hear from you. We thank you for the opportunities to sing songs to you, to talk to you, and to look into your word and, and to, to hear from your Holy Spirit. 
And we ask that you would bless and continue to bless and guide this time. In your name we pray. Amen. I got a question for you. What are you doing here? Some of you aren't quite sure. I don't, I don't, that's, that's not good. You ever ask yourself that question? I find myself doing that from time to time when I walk into a room. Sometimes I can answer it. Sometimes I can't. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're getting there. Maybe you've been there for a while. But this morning, I want to share a couple of stories with you from Scripture. And the first one is in 1 Kings chapter 19. And it's a story about Elijah and Elisha and God asking that question of Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And the second story is the story of, of Naomi and Ruth. And I believe we see that same question asked in that story. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? So if you got your Bibles, digital or otherwise, and we call it in youth group, analog version, um, go to 1 Kings chapter 19. This morning I want to take a closer look at, at these two very interesting relationships with, with Elijah and Elisha and Ruth and Naomi and, and Pastor Rock is going to share some other relationships that we see through Scripture and see what God is doing in this next generation, previous generation. And it's just getting his work done. It's, it's kingdom work, right? It's not my generation, your generation, the next generation. It's, it's what God is doing to spread the gospel until he returns. One of the coolest things about being in, in the alliance that I remember in college was, was, you know, we are bringing back the king. I always thought that was so cool. I can be part of something that's so much bigger that will last so much longer than me. But this morning I want us to look at these. Each of them comes at this, at this topic very differently. But there's the same outcome. First Kings chapter 19, I, I want to go down to verse, cha, verse 3. Chapter 19, verse 3. And it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, the town in Judah, and left his servants there. And then he went alone into the wilderness. He went back up and he went, he went to hide. Anyone ever feel like Elijah sometimes? I just want to go hide. But what has just happened? If you look at chapter 18... If you look at what has just happened in the life of Elijah, it's Mount Carmel. Yeah. Here he is on top of the mountain, and you got all these prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and you got, you know, the prophets of God have been, been being slaughtered by Jezebel, left and right, and he feels like he's the only one. Anyone feel that way? I'm the only one. And, and God, he, he calls, you know, I wish I had more time, but just read it. Nah, you're anyway, he calls down God's presence, God's manifest presence. We've been talking about that, right? The fire that, that just consumed everything. He's on this great, mount, literally, mountaintop. And in just a few verses, he's running scared and afraid. Things change quickly, don't they? We'll talk about that in a minute. But just to give you that background, things in life don't always have to line up or be going well for God to want to use you to do something. Elijah was going, it was going great, but he was running. 
And in God's presence came, and, and if you look in verse 5 through verse uh, through, through, through 15, you look at, at what God did. God came to him two different times and said, Elijah, what are you doing? And the angel spoke to him and said, hey, eat, and provided all the food that he needed. He provided those things. He said, Elijah, you're going to need this because I have something for you to do. He reminded Elijah that God provides what is needed. He reminded Elijah that it's God's purpose that he's being used for. And sometimes we need to be reminded of those same two things. But he also invited him in to his presence to be part of what was coming. He said, I want you to go for me and anoint a new king and a new prophet. And for some of you, young, old, it may, that may be it. It may, it may be, I talked to, I talked to a, a young person this week. He said, you know, I really, I really, really want to work with kids and, and get more engaged in kids. And, and, and you know what? Sharing faith with that generation. It doesn't matter where you fall. Because when God's purpose is there, guess what? If you're not dead, you're not done. That's God's purpose. And when you're, you know, when you're done, we'll know, right? God specifically asked Elijah to go and anoint Elisha. Now, Will we listen to that? Will we listen? Are we listening for God's voice when he tells us to go to these places and do these things and, and look out for these people? And maybe, maybe we need to be the Elijah, Elijah, but we also need to be Elisha. What was Elisha doing? If you, if you uh, look down, and, um, he, went, he went down there, and, and he was out in the fields with his servants doing the work. He was just tending. He was a farmer, right? Second Kings talks about he was a righteous man, an upright man. So we know Elijah, Elisha was, you know, not some, some schluck in a field somewhere, but he was doing and living his life, being obedient to God and just doing the everyday thing. Are we doing those? Are we doing those everyday things, waiting for God to speak to us or waiting for God to have someone else speak to us? When Elijah came to him, he saw him out in the field, and, and he didn't have a conversation. He took his cloak, put it on Elisha, and walked away. Some of you are going, oh, new clothes. Elisha knew what that meant. And Elisha had a decision to make. The ask was, hey, Elisha, you have a choice. Follow me, come with me, be, you know, I, will, I will teach you, I will do all these things. All that was implied when he gave him the cloak. And Elisha, in a most spectacular way, made the choice, didn't he? If we read, when we read in scripture that, that he took and he killed all the oxen and he took the plows and he made altars and he made an altar to the Lord. He couldn't go back. Too often we, we make a choice, but we always have an out. We always have something to fall back on. For the next six years, they lived life together. In the small things and the mundane things, I had an Elijah in my life. My junior year, we got a new youth pastor. His name was Mr. Bill. We made all kinds of jokes, but he didn't care. He just loved us. And one day he came to me. He said, hey, I want you to be on leadership team. I looked at him and I'm like, are you nuts? Do you know me yet? And I just trusted. Okay, God, I, I don't, I'm not hearing from you, but I'm going to trust that he is. 
And I, I followed. And over time, he kept asking me to do things, and he kept asking me to do things. And I trusted that he had heard from God when I didn't. And guess what? Then I heard from God. Because he helped me get in a position to hear. Maybe you're Elijah, maybe you're Elisha. Who's your Mr. Bill? The next story I want to share with you is from uh, uh, the book of Ruth. So if you've got your Bibles, quick, just scale back a few pages to the book of Ruth. And unlike Elijah and Elisha's relationship, which came out of the discipleship process, Elijah, or Naomi and Ruth's had a relationship that turned into discipleship, that turned into mentoring and, and walking alongside. That's the other side of that. Sometimes it's just God saying, I want you to go to that person. Well, I don't know him. Okay, that's okay. Sometimes it's someone you know, someone that, that you, you are developing relationships with. That's why we talk about doing things together, right? Because you don't know who God's going to ask you to go to. Guys, you don't know who God is asking to go to you. These two women came from very different places, didn't they? Different cultures, different times, different lots in life, different futures and hopes and traditions. You have a Moabite woman and a Jewish woman. Young and old. A daughter and a mother. We could go on and on. But they also had a lot of similarities. They suffered a lot of loss. They'd, they'd been living, they'd been doing life together and they'd, they'd, they'd created this bond even to the point that when, when Naomi had asked Ruth to go do things that seemed a little strange, Ruth did them. And at the end of the story, we see that God not only brought redemption and blessing to Ruth, but also to Naomi. Mentoring's not a one-sided relationship. It's not, oh, they get, they get the stuff and I don't. But they had a choice to make, didn't they? Look at chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 16. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mothers and your homes and, 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 and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye and she broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you. And only Ruth did. And look at what she says. In the most spectacular way, Ruth, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Look at what she says. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there, I will be buried. In the most spectacular way, she says, look, I'm burning my plows. I'm killing my oxen. I'm going to go because I trust. I know who you are in, in the relationship I've seen. And I know that your God will bless us. And they walk together. Who are you walking with? Who are you getting to know? What are the new relationships that you're fostering and developing? Because you never know who God may ask you to go to or who may, God may ask to go to you. These are two examples of relationships where they were doing life together. 
Elijah went to Elisha. Elijah went to the younger one, the older generation, going to the younger generation, and then doing life together. Ruth saying to Naomi, no, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to stay with you. The younger generation reaching up to the older generation say, let's do life together. It's important for us to look for someone to do life together. And whether you're the older one and God's calling you to someone younger or whether you're the younger one and God's calling you to someone older, it needs to be done. We need to pay attention to those generations because it's important that we be a church that's still seeking God's kingdom five years from now, 10 years from now, 40 years from now. And that only works when we are a true multi-generational church. The second thing I want us to look at today is the reality of hearing from God. We hear from God, each of us. It doesn't matter our age. If we're seeking, we're going to hear from God. The older generation, you've heard from God. My generation, we've heard from God. I've heard from God. I, I did, when I, we went on our vacation, I spent two weeks praying, Lord, wh- where are we going? What are we doing? What would you have for us as a church body? I really thought that sitting on the beach, looking at the peaceful waves, that God would talk to me there. That makes sense, right? That's not what he did. Instead, he chose on the way back from Myrtle Beach in Greenville traffic, where I finally felt God respond and and say something to me. And that's where God spoke and God shared. And and so what we're doing this month in August has been what God was sharing with me that day. I want to talk about Eli and Samuel. Eli and Samuel. Eli was a priest. Uh, He was there in the temple. Uh, Hannah, Samuel's mom, had come. She was barren, did not have kids, and she was praying and asking for kids. And she goes home. Eli actually ends up blessing her. She goes home. Uh, A little while later, she gets pregnant. She has Samuel. When it comes time, when he's older, she comes and dedicates Samuel to the Lord. She comes there and dedicates him. She actually leaves him there at the temple. Eli's there under the, Eli the priest, he's there. He's under Samuel's care. As Samuel gets a little bit older, we run into this situation where they have gone to bed. It says that Eli's eyes have grown weak, so we know he's growing older. Samuel's there, and Samuel hears someone call his name. And Samuel goes running into Eli's room and says, hey, what's up? You called me. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel goes back to bed. A little bit later, the Lord says, Samuel. He runs into Eli's room. Hey, what's up? You called me. I, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Happens a few times. Eli finally recognizes the Lord is calling you. Okay, Samuel, tell you what. Next time you get called, don't come in here. Just say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. What I love about this story is who was the priest? Who was the priest? Eli. Eli didn't say, okay, I'm coming back to your room so I can hear the Lord speak too. Eli didn't say, why aren't you talking to me? He's just a kid. Eli said, Samuel, when you go back, you just stay there. And if he calls again, you just say, speak, Lord. I'm ready to listen. He didn't say, I, I have to be the one he speaks to. I'm the priest. I'm the older one. I'm the one that's walked with him. I'm the one that served. He recognized the Lord is speaking. Let's let him speak. What's also cool is Samuel decided to receive that. Samuel did that. I'm here. What do you have for me? Lord, I'm listening. Young age, he chose, he decided to listen. I was 17 years old when I felt God's call on my life into ministry. There are a few different events that took place that led to that. I'm going to share one of those events next week. But there are a couple different events. I was 17 years old. 
And I felt God call, and I remember going forward on a Sunday morning and saying, I'm committing my life. I was 17. A few weeks ago, driving home, I felt God's leading and speaking to me about where we were going to spend this month of August because I believe that this is foundational for where we're going over the next year. Talking about God's peace. Talking about God's presence. The reality of us needing to be a multi-generational church that interacts and cares about each other. My son Brandon uh, was also called. Uh, I, I had the privilege of being at Two Life conferences in a row with my son Brandon. The first one he went to the, the summer after his ninth grade year, and then the second one the summer after his senior year uh, in St. Louis and Kansas City. I get to be there. And it came that night where they, go, they do the call, they do the sermon, they do the call. If God's calling you into full-time ministry, will you come? And we got to that point, and Brandon was standing there summer after his uh, ninth grade year, and as soon as they made that invitation, Brandon didn't look for an aisle to go up. Brandon made his own aisle. And he just cut right through the chairs and got up there, and he went up there. And uh, when he came back, he said to me, and we're living in Montana, we're in St. Louis, and uh, I said, Brandon, what's God saying to you? And he says, I'm supposed to go to TFC, and I'm supposed to be a youth pastor. And I said, okay, let's do it. Three years later, we were heading to Kansas City for the Life Conference, and I said, Brandon, what are you hoping to hear from the Lord? He goes, I just want confirmation. If that's what I'm supposed to do, then the Lord's going to confirm that in me. And so that night came, and I don't remember who spoke. I remember it, it was a lady, and she had done a lot of years of, of ministry on the mission field, and, and it spoke. And I could see as that time was coming for that call, I could see we're standing up, and Brandon, when Brandon's anticipating something, he just gets a little bouncy. He just gets a little bit, and I could see this. I could see this. He was waiting. We were about three quarters way back in the audience, and I could see it. And as soon as that invitation was made, I think he was the first one to the front. Because it was just real, he heard God speaking. He went again. I, I'm pretty sure he went over the first three rows before he finally hit the aisle and then took off. God was speaking to him. This is what I think is so cool. I was called to serve youth. That was what I did for so many years. Brandon's been called to serve youth. And, and that's what he's going to do uh, now that he's graduated. He's heading in that direction. We are very similar in a lot of ways. Our personalities are similar. The way we do things, sometimes the way we talk is similar. Uh, we have some similarities. I was a, I was a, a military brat. He was a ministry brat. Um, we moved around a lot. But we're still two different people. We get into some fun discussions sometimes because we see things differently because we're two different generations. We're two different generations. I share Jesus. Brandon's going to share Jesus. But guess what? We're going to do that completely different. We're going to do that completely different. Because the culture I grew up in is different than the culture he's growing up in. And it's going to look different. But I'm going to pray for Brandon and support him and come alongside him and help him as much as I can to do that. Because that's what God's called me to do. Because God is speaking to Brandon just as he's still speaking to me. And we've got to recognize that he's going to do that differently. Second thing I want to, third thing I want us to look at today is the reality of d direct instruction. That, that we, we share and mentor through direct instruction. Um, if you look there in the middle of the New Testament, we see these letters that Paul writes to Timothy, to Titus, to Philemon. And he's given direct instructions on how to do ministry. Th there are two parts to that. One... 
Paul sending the letter, but then two, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, accepting the letter and doing something about it. I, I want to thank my professors because I, I know that there's a big part of who I am today is because I got direct instruction from my professors at TFC. Now, it, and, and they were there serving. I was there to grow and learn. Now, it took me about a year and a half to realize I was there to grow and learn. But I finally, got, I finally realized it. I thank Dr. Reese. I thank Professor Collier. I thank Dr. Wolf, Dr. Atkinson, Dr. Farley, my father-in-law, Professor Venna. These were men that gave and gave direct instruction. And I sat there and received it. And I'm where I'm at today because of that. My favorite theology class was Theology of the Kingdom, Winterham. My favorite one. Professor Collier. I took Life of Christ with Dr. Reese. I took um, Gospel of Matthew with Dr. Reese. I'm very thankful for those. But I'm also thankful that God didn't just put those guys in my life for that time. He did for that time, but then he continued to put men in my life. And so in other ministries, as I've come along, I've had men that have given me direct instruction on how to do ministry. And so I'm thankful for Pastor Les Morgan, for Pastor Mike Gates, for Pastor Farrell Towns, Pastor Mike Brewer, Pastor Steve Scarrow, Pastor Gary Atwood, because they continued to pour into me, because they knew that God spoke to me too and that I would have ministry. And I guarantee I do ministry different than all of them. But it doesn't mean ministry doesn't happen. These gentlemen, these professors, these other pastors, they were my Paul and I was their Timothy. They gave their instructions. I received the instruction. I'm also thankful that God's allowed me to be a Paul and to give to Timothy's. My first youth pastor that I had in Montana is now serving the Lord in Africa. My second youth pastor that I had in Montana is now a a lead pastor at his own church in Montana. And I continue to have conversations with them. As we're thinking about generations, who's your Paul? If you're younger, who's your Paul? Are you receiving instruction? Are you waiting or are you reaching out? If you're older, who's your Timothy? You might be like me. I'm kind of in the middle. I still have a Paul. I still have a Timothy. Some of you say, my Pauls have all gone ahead to be with the Lord, so I got to be a Paul and reach down to Timothy's. Some of you are saying, I'm not old enough to have a Timothy yet, so who's my Paul's? Where's the Lord at? What are you doing today? How are you responding to him? Terry's going to come and talk a little bit about generations and culture. One of the coolest things about all the social media stuff that's happening is um, our youth pastor came. When, when Mr. Bill came, he was, he was older. He was in his late 20s. Yeah. That's not older. That's still a baby. <laughs> he's 60, 63, 62. He's over 60. He's still doing youth ministry. Cultures change. They shift. But the gospel doesn't. It's the same. Um, when, I, when I was a kid, my, I, I, I didn't learn too much about fixing cars and stuff like, like a lot of my brothers and my family was all into that because... I typically played Plinko with the wrench down through the engine and it hit my dad in the head. 
He didn't like that. I thought it was funny. But I didn't learn. But I remember the first time I learned how to change a tire, he showed me. You know, you ever have the tire iron that looked like a plus sign? It's not a Chinese throwing star. Just <laughs> learn that the hard way. That was my first experience, and that was, you know, that was the, that's how you change a tire. That's the only way to change a tire. And then, you know, we, we, we bought, I, got, I bought a car, and it had this thing, and it's like, where's, where's the plus sign chi- tire changer thing? And, and you know, because I was so technical at the time. And, uh, and it was just like one little thing looked like an L, and it was pointing on the end. I'm like, why is it pointing on the end? Because I've got hubcaps. What are hubcaps? Oh, that's what that's for. Gotcha. Now I have this beautiful thing called an impact wrench. And it gets tires off so easy. It's, I mean, you're like, you're like cranking and jumping on it and all, you know. I don't care what I use. Well, I do care what I use. I use the impact wrench. I don't use that other stuff. But I remember that, man, my dad was like, not the only way to change a tire. And now all three of those tools do the same thing, right? But they're very, very, very different tools. And that's what's happening in the last 125 years. Think about since 1900, what's happened in the church. You can pretty much say for the first 90 to 100 years, not much. It changed. They wore hats. They didn't wear hats. They wore coats. They wore longer coats. They wore shorter coats. They wore double-breasted coats. Then they put hats on again. That was about it. One of, the, one of our pastors up in Winston-Salem, uh, North Carolina, at the First Alliance Church there in Winston-Salem, his name is Ben Marsh. He wrote an article. Um, you can read the whole article um, on our Fact Weekly. It's there. But he said this about, about basically the last 100 to 125 years. Churches could be relied upon to be places of belonging with a relatively small learning curve. The desperate talk. What that meant was that if you went to church pretty much anywhere, it was mostly the same. We didn't have to think about what was different, what, you know, there might be some, some differences, but not in the last 20 to 25 years, right? All my kids were born before the internet. That's just weird for me to think about. When I was in school, I had to go to the library because they had books there, not here. These things didn't exist. We had word processors. Google it. We didn't even have Google, so we couldn't have done that either. So much has changed just in the last 25 years. And for some of you, that's really hard to to get. But guess what? For those of you that are growing up in that 25 years, it's really hard for you too. Because just when you think you might have something, it changes. And then you go, and okay, okay, I, I think I finally got, now it's changed again. We've seen these struggles and we see them even genera- gener- generationally. There we go. Learn to talk. Just to share, uh, 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 James uh, Kong wrote an article called Generational Approaches to Understanding the Gospel. This is how we, we kind of look at the gospel, how we process it, how we want to, want to get it out into the world. So those born before 1964, you ask the questions typically, what's true? They, they want to know that they, they can trust Christianity. It's true. They can stand on it. They have a foundation that doesn't move. And we know that. We, we know no matter what generation you are, that Scripture is foundational. It doesn't change. Xers, those between 65 and 80, 
They ask the question, what's real? What, 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 what does the authenticity of faith look like? How do I know that my faith is real? And you thought, well, what's the difference? There's a lot of difference between, well, this is true. I don't have to know that it's real. I don't have to care that it works. That's why I love math. You're either, it's either right or it's wrong. Who cares how you do it, right? But they want to know, is it real? How, can I grab it? Can I, can I hold it? Can it can, does it make a difference? Millennials take that a little bit further. 80, born, born between 1981 and 86. They said, what's good? So not is it true and real, but is it good? Does it, does it damage things or does it make it better? And that's where we began to see this distrust growing against the churches and religion because people began to use, were using Scripture and using these things to hurt instead of heal. You're saying, well, well that's what the truth is. Okay, but what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? You can have the truth on your side, but if it's not in love, it's just, you're just gonging, right? The last generation, Z, I-gens, I-this, I-that, I don't know. 97 to, to 2015-ish, um, still being debated, but they said, what's, what's beautiful? And the first thing I thought of was this. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news? How does all of that, true, real, all of those things, how is it beautiful in this culture? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful even when it's convicting. It's beautiful even, even in, in, when it does its work. It's easy to get wrapped up in, in our preferences of, I, it needs to be true. Well, it does. It needs to be real. Absolutely. It needs to be all those things, but it needs to be beautiful to a, a people who need it. Desired outcome was the same. We want healthy disciples connecting deeper to Christ and to one another, living in discipleship, not doing it, living it as part of their life, growing healthier in their relationship with others and doing that together. Learning how to engage in the, the world in a way that leaves the footprints of Jesus Christ in its wake, not truth that hurts and damages or realism that, that just smears and doesn't heal. Because that's not what the scriptures is. One way we've been doing this was our partners in ministry survey Great way to find out, okay, well, I'd like to do that, but where do I get involved? Check it out. And the question's still there. What are you here for? So the other question we ask is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? We've talked about the need for uh, doing life together mentorship. We've talked about the reality that every generation hears from God and we need to be looking for that and listening for that. We've talked about the reality that, um, that we do life, that we do ministry different. And each generation, different culture, different way they've been brought up. And so it means that we're going to stand strong on the truth of Scripture, but that's going to, ministry is going to look different. The tools that we use are different. 
We ask the question, if, if, you're, if you're the older generation, how are you connecting with the younger generation? If you're the younger con- generation, how are you reaching up? Because we have years of experience in ministry here and knowledge of Jesus and walking with Jesus. And you younger generation, take, take advantage of that. We want to be an intergenerational church that does life together. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? All of us have to be intentional about training up the next generation. I'm going to say this. It's not just Pastor Terry's job to disciple our students. It's also not just their parents' jobs to disciple them. Although both of those are their jobs. But we're a family. And we should be doing this together as a family. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you have made us an intergenerational family. We thank you that we have every age group represented here today. We pray that we will serve each other together, that we will fix our eyes on Jesus and be about what you are doing. And we won't worry about how we want to do it to reach this world for you but we'll worry about how you want to do it. And we'll recognize that every generation hears from you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.